Welcome to the seventh episode of the fifth series of the Women in CX podcast, a series dedicated to real talk conversations between women in customer experience. Listen in as we share our career stories, relive the moments that shaped us, and voice our opinions as loudly as we like about all manner of CX subjects. I'll be your host, Claire Musket, and in today's episode, I'll be talking to an incredible community member from the United States. Let me introduce you to today's inspiring guest. She led company-wide customer experience transformations at B2B and Fortune 250 firms. She was the first in the world to benchmark marketing operations practices. She's an author of three handbooks and is now the Chief Customer Officer at Clear Action Continuum. Please welcome to the show, CX sister, Lynn Hunsaker. Hello, Claire. How are you doing? <laughs> oh, fantastic. It's a great new year. I'm so excited about all the things that stand before us as great opportunities. Yes. Happy New Year indeed. And where are you joining us from today? I'm in Phoenix, Arizona, which is uh, nearby Los Angeles. Ah, California. Amazing. <laughs> well, it's not California, mm-hmm. is it? It's a different state. <laughs> My well, geography is terrible. <laughs> Oh, well, well, let's just like dive right in and so, um, just tell the listeners, like, how did you find your way into the Women in CX community and how's it going? Well, I noticed the announcements from the very beginning uh, during the early part of the pandemic. And I, you know, kept an eye on that. I had a lot of changes happening in my life during that mm-hmm. time. And when I got settled uh, late 2021, I decided let me give a give a look at this. And so it's been impressive to see how supportive everybody is and how enthusiastic women and customer experience are. I've always known that you know this mm. the people in this field are so passionate, but it's great to see people really supporting each other so much. Yeah. And it's been wonderful to have your contribution. You've already done one webinar and you've got another one coming up. <laughs> yeah. I'm looking forward to interacting more with the members because this year, as I've gotten things squared away, uh, you know, the, the, the aftermath of the whole uh, 2020 mm. fiasco has just been pretty long ranging, <laughs> mm, yeah. but I think we're looking at a, a brighter side in 2023. Yeah, let's hope so. I'm ready for some good stuff. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, but um, but it in the UK it's kind of looking like it's going to be a really challenging year ahead economically. Um, we've got energy crises, cost of living crisis, kind of feels a bit pandemicy again. All be it where we can go out of our houses and do whatever we want. The yeah. um the pressure that customers and employees are feeling right now in terms of um psychological safety and security is going to have that continued long ranging impact. But I suppose at least yeah. we know that we, from our experience of the pandemic, how adaptable we can be as individuals and sure those businesses it's, that 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 really a, gone. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a mixed bag for sure. But one of the things that I really am uh, hopeful about is. Mm-hmm. Helping CX and CS and EX people mm-hmm. know how they can help influence a rebound and resilience mm-hmm. and rising above all of that fray. Mm-hmm. Because uh, 
it's always challenging. There's always something. There's always a war somewhere. There's always pressure somewhere. Mm. It's very rare that you just have gangbusters economy and, and everything else. And even if you do, people are usually a little too exuberant and not really based on the customer and the employee. Mm -hmm. So I think that we always have the opportunity to, to stand up and do more to influence uh, positivity in these times. Yeah, and um, critical, isn't it, at these times when customers and employees are experiencing challenges to really understand their needs and respond to them even more than in good, the good times. And uh, we saw, didn't we, from the pandemic, the companies that really um, made progress were the ones that, that did that really well. So yeah, I totally agree with you. It's an opportunity to influence. And we're definitely yeah. going to talk much more about influencing um, later on in our conversation. Um, so I'm sure our listeners would love to know what your career journey looked like and how did you end up where you are today? All right. Well, I loved marketing when I was in college. Well, it wasn't quite clear from the very beginning, but I, I soon realized that was my huge passion and uh, got a degree in that and went on to get my MBA and added to it finance and international business. I happened to be going to a school in uh, Tennessee, which mm -hmm. Vanderbilt University is close to where my mom grew up. And so I was interviewing companies over there. Um, I ended up in the strategic planning department of a Fortune 250 company called Sonoco. In that role, they had me interviewing people, our customers. They could be plant managers, purchasing managers, and so forth across the whole North America. And so I went to face-to-face -face interviews and had plant tours and all of that. It was very educational. We used... VOC in our strategic planning formula. And I think more companies should be doing that now. Um, so that was the start of it. And um, because I was doing that along with merger and acquisition analyses and things like that, when they set up TQM, they asked me mm -hmm. to lead a company-wide VOC task force to figure out what is this customer satisfaction stuff and how do we make it work company-wide? So that was a really great education. I went on from there to California in the semiconductor industry and um, was voice of the customer manager at a company that had a kind of a near-term crisis about a year before I started there. And what happened is the CEO of our largest customer stood up on one of those appreciation dinners and said, hey, I know we're buying a lot from you. And, you know, frankly, we would prefer buying from your competitors because you're really arrogant and hard to do business with. And I just want mm. to be transparent with you. So our executives were quite worried about that and how many other customers are feeling that way. So they decided let's do a relationship survey worldwide. It was the first time they'd done that. And when they got the results, they hated it. The executives thought, how can this be true? These customers must be talking about something else. Uh, why are they so negative? Or, you know, I didn't know that they felt this way. And so the VP of customer sat, who was, you know, had been newly appointed, uh, held up the report and said, you might not know it, but this is a mirror. This mm -hmm. is how customers see us and we've got to manage to it. So it was really fortunate for me and a it set the whole trajectory for my career and who I am now and what I do that 
what they did that afternoon, they figured out what's going to work in our culture for people to not react that same way and to actually embrace and act upon those uh, survey results in very meaningful ways to be less arrogant and easier to do business with in quick order. Mm. So that was my um, mission when I joined as VOC manager, I ran around the whole uh, whole world to do these kinds of workshops, uh, readouts and action planning. And we had over a hundred action plans going on at the same time. And a lot of synergy within those because you got people over in Taiwan and Scotland and different places, you know, having similar things. So we had uh, organizational cross-pollination, you could say. And that was a big part of what my role was. And when I got back, I was meeting with all the different functional areas to show them, here's what our customers are saying. How can we adapt our hiring, our uh, recognition our marketing, internal messaging, you know, all kinds of things, policies. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that's where I really come from is how do you make customer centricity and customer experience improvement part of your non-customer facing groups work and way of life? Um, So I think it's a a big difference from how most people have come into CX. Yeah, I do notice from you, like, um, that kind of financial commercial acumen uh, really comes through. So um, I think for anyone, you know, been in the trenches, done the job um, in highly commercial organisations, really does stand you in good stead, doesn't it, to be able to see customer experience from you know not only the customer and employee side, which most of us do do, but also the business and stakeholder side and being able to figure out, you know, how do we create value for everybody, including the business, um, rather than marching off on heroic missions that are purely customer or purely employee. And I think that's why quite a few people get unstuck. Um, so thank you for sharing uh, that story. I just had one question around that, though. Were they male-dominated industries then? They typically... Uh, well, it was especially more male-dominated yeah. in the early 90s when I was mm-hmm. starting out. And, uh, you know, you had to figure it out. For example, um, you know, you dress the part to not stand out or not to be a distraction. So I find that that has kind of gone by the wayside over the years as um, women have been more accepted, but they're kind of getting in their own way in some ways. We're very conscientious about our tone of voice and how we phrase things. And, you know, I did a lot of self-help stuff as well as got some coaching um, to propel my, you know, influence and uh, career trajectory. Within four years uh, at that semiconductor company, I went from VOC manager to head of corporate quality. So I have to thank my MBA and uh, all of that stuff uh, uh, for 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 helping me do that. And uh, the fact that I lived in Holland for a year and a half also helped because it showed me that I can speak up and and uh, be honest, be be straightforward with people. And that was so important in a male-dominated environment. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think many times have changed, but there's still awful lot of bias out there. And I know speaking to women in the mm-hmm. community who are working particularly in like tech and software, um, which are still very male-dominated, 
mm-hmm. uh, there's still a lot of work to be done um to be able to show up as ourselves however we choose to show up and not have to modify or code switch as um i know the, the the further away you are from being exactly what that white middle-aged male executive looks like the harder it is um but yeah i think we're in a good place with our community to be championing and supporting one another to be able to show up and um be speak speak up i think that was the word you used use your voice mm-hmm. and confidently articulate ourselves without fear of um having to dumb dumb things down or act in a certain way that's more acceptable or um more easy to tolerate and not too much and I know I hear a lot of women talking about um how difficult that still is today so thinking about that amazing career journey um there must have been some pretty big barriers or challenges you've had to overcome along the way can you think of like one big one that might be helpful to share with the audience um help shape you become the woman you are today well I think it stems from what we were just talking about because uh when I was growing up I was quite shy even when my grandparents would visit um Mm -hmm. I was so excited but I couldn't look them in the eye you know I would just hi grandpa you know and um my grandpa just loved to tell the story about that when I was five years old, you know, over the years, he just, he never tired of it. Um, But I was shy and I had a hard time uh, allowing myself to speak up when I was first in the semiconductor company. Mm -hmm. Um, But I noticed the people around me were speaking up and they were getting props, you know, they were getting attention, they were getting uh, assignments and I noticed that if you weren't you weren't right mm-hmm. it's kind of the, like the squeaky wheel gets the grease <laughs> also we had layoffs quite often in the semi- semiconductor industry almost every other year mm-hmm. and when the first one happened I thought oh my gosh I've got to get a network so that if that if something happens to me I have something to fall back on so I joined the American Marketing Association and I decided I wanted to be a volunteer on a committee and that way I'd have a badge at the events that says, you know, I'm somebody mm-hmm. and I wouldn't be as nervous when people would say, um, you know, what do you do or who are you? It was more <laughs> like I had the permission now to be the hostess and say, well, tell me about yourself. And that really changed everything. I gave myself permission to speak up and to trust myself, even though mm-hmm. I am an introvert, I tend to think through my my sentences even like right now I'm thinking through and I can't help it <laughs> just you know it's in the background so um I think that that was really the main difference and I've been speaking my mind ever since I hope people um appreciate me speaking my mind and I I try to welcome always uh feedback because also I, my personality sometimes gives the impression that when I say something that's, you know, my way or the highway, but um, I try really hard to always welcome feedback and ask for it. Mm, yeah. And I know a lot of women in the community talk about this, like level of introversion and extroversion and I'm um, trying to find like the, the way, the, the, the ways to feel comfortable, particularly like groups scenarios and how difficult it can be to be the hostess when you're naturally introver- introverted. So mm. Um, I, I have a lot of respect that 
you managed to overcome your shyness but also um find that confidence you're still involved in the american marketing association now aren't you oh yeah i'm still a member um i attend the cxpa uh, the um, ama phoenix events and i'm actually the ringleader of cxpa local events here in phoenix (laughs) yeah so there's a lot of community groups associations Mm -hmm. that i do give a a lot back um to the to the industry groups that you're involved in so you get get out of it what you put into it and i look forward to putting more into women in cx this year too no thank you and definitely we really appreciate you using your voice so long may it continue um so thinking about our kind of cx topic of discussion today um we said we were going to talk about something that keeps cropping up in the community we can't get away from it can we the fact mm. that one of the biggest barriers and challenges cx managers professionals all level all levels of the organization are facing into is the the challenges of silos <laughs> across the organization and how to bust them um and i know that you're an industry expert on this um i think you gave amazing example of you know being able to do that at a global level with a very complicated diverse organization mm-hmm. um so let's bring the audience up to speed and could you give us a definition or explanation of what the biggest silos that affect customer and employee experience actually are and our listeners can see if any of those resonate with their situation (laughs) well silos usually are at the heart of whatever people are complaining about around the water cooler so to Mm. speak or you know they get together with their colleagues and they say such and such is so screwed up right so a silo is anything that should be connected that isn't and generally we uh, complain mostly about organizational silos. Mm-hmm. Um, that can be as small as within your own department. <laughs> People aren't on the same page. The right hand doesn't know what the left hand's mm-hmm. doing. But um, there's actually five operational silos mm-hmm. and five execution silos that I've identified. Could be more, but it's good to work with these five as a model. The operational silos are the ones that are most obvious and the ones that people talk about the most. Channel silos, Mm -hmm. system silos, data silos, process silos, and organizational silos. Mm -hmm. So these are things that, uh, you know, people buy something, people uh, embark on a project, or they create a, a process or procedure or policy, and they're not thinking of the whole picture. And they're not thinking as a customer. And so all of these things are what my friend calls PITA. You know this, PITA? The Mm. pain in the... Oh! (laughs) Pain in the... (laughs) For employees and for customers and for partners. And anytime you have a silo that is dysfunctional, then it's, it's costly. You know, it it causes churn, it causes grief and, you know, a lot of confusion and extra, extra worry and, uh, and so forth. Um, The execution silos are quite interesting. And, you know, I believe we talk about them as well, but we don't really label them as silos. Those are vision silos, Mm -hmm. where different groups have a different, uh, idea of of how life is or what they're aiming for Mm -hmm. and the vision can be out of sync with customers 
the vision can be out of sync with employees. Mm -hmm. I think that we're feeling both of those uh, these past few years. Mm -hmm. There's assumption silos. This happens with personal interactions as well as uh, organizational and cross-functional uh, gaps. And you have goal silos where one group is incented to do this and another group is incented to do that, or they have different objectives that maybe uh, stab each other in the, the foot or the back. Um, then there's metric silos where you don't see the whole picture because you're you're measuring something uh, only at the beginning or only at the end or, uh, you know, there's a lot of different reasons why uh, certain metrics that we follow actually mask reality. Mm. And then handoff silos, I think, are the most painful of all, but they're the result of all the others. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> yeah. So uh, do you resonate with all 10 of those? Yeah, I was like, I was busy writing them down so I could like play a play mm -hmm. play a few back yeah so that mm -hmm. the the interesting that like, kind of operational ones you, you really see when you start journey mapping right mm -hmm. so when you get a group of people together from these different teams which in themselves are quite often silos um I, you start to pick up where there are just complete gaps Mm -hmm. disjointedness um so whether that's you know like a, a team's designing something over here on a website but there's no data integration um or app um uh, sorry or, or um connectedness with like data or other channels or whatever else and like if if they'd have been able to think about that at the start uh, as a you know mm -hmm. holistic customer experience vision this is mm -hmm. what we're aiming for for our customers we could ladder it all up to that or a roadmap mm -hmm. at least it would be totally different and I've you know as a, I'm a CX designer myself that was like the, the thing that I love to do um big question because do people actually approach CX design with that in mind we ought to I that do <laughs> of elevating the maturity I think yeah. a lot of people do uh CX design um well not doing that <laughs> yeah no totally totally well I, I guess like for, for me like the podcast listeners have heard me talk about this like a million times but like I evolved my own version for big corporate enterprise level experiences I worked in the, one of the UK's second largest supermarket still one of the biggest retailers in the world that had a million silos and different kind of customer routes in and you know trying to articulate um, a target experience was the only way that you could help teams that were all going to be working on different things try to get to something coherent um, and it was actually relatively simple to do that as this is what we want people to fit to feel see experience and do and then they were like right great that's the direction that I need to be able to do my bit over here which is going to have a, a knock-on impact um, and, and the executional aspects as well kind of thinking back to you know left hand not knowing what right hand's doing or the handoffs even bringing people together and doing some of these like initial discovery journey mapping sessions mm -hmm. having one guy from one team and one woman from another team going oh that thing that happens to customers that pain point could be so easily solved if we just do this together as a process mm -hmm. <laughs> and you know those things get fixed um but yeah. but also the competing priorities that exist you know what marketing and operations um might be doing differently to finance what the 
um, the transformation team might be aiming for, the sets of KPIs and measurements and metrics that different teams are going after can often be quite vastly different. And as you said, you use the word shoot each other in the foot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're creating a problem over here to achieve your own metrics that creates a problem over mm -hmm. here that damages someone else's metrics but ultimately who loses the most usually it's the customer and the employee right but when you yeah. see that the business also loses um being able to bring Investors together Investors lose. yeah exactly nobody wins um so <laughs> so yeah to totally resonates with me and i just really like the way um that you simplified that into two categories of operational execution and the five points under each um yeah that's that's really handy <laughs> good way to describe yeah. it so there's actually a few uh tips and tricks with these yes with this list. it's not just a you know a, a rave or a rant mm. um those five execution silos are at the heart of the five operational silos Mm -hmm. Meaning that yeah. if you want to solve organizational silos or channel silos, then take a look at vision, assumption, goals, mm -hmm. metrics, and handoffs as the pathway to it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, and, and that, I think, speaks to so much about our employee experience and mutual respect and conquering dysfunction, rising above the fray, you know, serving the greater good, all of that that we should be doing as mature adults, for heaven's sakes. Mm -hmm. But it's easier said than done. And what I think CX people can do is quite a lot to mm -hmm. influence silos way more than we think it at uh, face value. Mm -hmm. What we can do to influence these silos is collect insights from employees from customers and from partners yes in ways that help people to see what the hell is going on okay from a holistic viewpoint and help them to see what they can do no matter what their role is i think there's way too much of a trend in the past 10 15 years to self-service among our internal customers as CX and CS people. We just want to collect stuff. We want to do the fun, you know, making things and whatnot. But the real work of excellent customer experience is smoothing out these stinking silos. If these silos were smoothed out, then why would we need expanding our customer service technology and staffing to the extent that we do today yeah you know. so you can get rid of the pitta <laughs> right right if you pitters. get rid of the, the, the pebbles in the customer shoe or the pitta mm -hmm. uh for everyone um mm. your investments in remedial customer mm. experience customer service and customer success don't have to be linear with your month by month growth your year over year growth you can actually shrink back your investments mm -hmm. in remedial efforts and be more proactive, which is much more fun. Mm -hmm. And you can also, uh, I think, have a lot of relief by, you know, the fact that you're always wanting a, a bigger staff, but never getting it. You're always wanting more budget, but never, you know, you can't get everything you want. But if you're doing things in a smarter way, 
it's not going to be as painful because you're realizing, hey, I'm engaging everybody in the company to help. They're an, they're an extension of my CX team. You have to think that way because no matter how perfect the technology is, no matter how perfect your empathy is with customer touch points and how wonderful all those touch points are, mm-hmm. you cannot guarantee a good customer experience unless you have smoothed these silos. Yeah, no, I to- totally agree. And when I was working on the business side for those many, many years, um it took me a long time to learn that. And I think I see a lot of frustrated CX professionals who made probably the same mistake I did, which was just to be focusing on one aspect. So what's the customer data information feedback telling us, but not, you know, asking employees, why do these problems exist and what could we do about them? What would need to change to get rid of the pitta, but also Mm -hmm. talking to like the leadership level stakeholders around what is your vision of customer experience? What do you define it as? What do you think the scope of this needs to be? Uh, What are your, what keeps you off at night? What are your big strategic objectives? And um, these days I counsel women join the, the community that are getting stuck with influencing stakeholders to take the creative license to go and like go and ask the the right questions and just bring back a picture of where there is conflict or dissonance between well marketing's thinking this is what we're trying to do and uh, operations is thinking this is a priority their strategic objectives are this and this team's strategic objectives are that that one shared we could use customer experience for improvement to actually drive that um because there isn't often anyone really looking across the entire customer experience or the organization to be able to to do that and actually you can create more value sometimes by taking a step back and coming at it from another angle than necessarily just kind of continue to say we still have a red on this report over here. <laughs> We're still experiencing a downward trajectory. And yes. you know, being able to find those win-win-wins, like what's going to make employees' lives easier that means we mm-hmm. solve customer problems before they happen, <laughs> removes mm-hmm. the issue. Like you can, you know, as you said, you know, be able to make those economies um, in support and contact mm-hmm. and actually help the business achieve its objectives. No one's going to say no to that but so often they're going to say no to an investment in <laughs> something independent just because customers yeah. are, are struggling with it. So yeah, totally, totally yeah. agree. Are, are there any other silo smoothing? Yes, um, tips? I have four <laughs> universal tips. Oh, yes. So um, all the time you're talking, the word that was coming to my mind is bingo. <laughs> is that like a buzzword bingo? <laughs> bingo, you you've got it on the nose, right? Oh. Yeah, you've, got, you've won the whole the the sweet so um right we need to broaden people's perspectives Mm -hmm. and we need to to first of all before these four things think of our roles and and encourage executives to position us in cx and cs as a facilitator of company-wide alignment to customer employee and partner expectations and if they think, well, that's just too loosey goosey, or where the, you know, where the heck are you getting that idea? Like, well, what does marketing do? They set a unique value proposition. They have a brand promise, and this sets the expectations for 
people joining the company of all types, employees, partners, and customers, you know, HR does that too. You know, so actually the whole C-suite plays a role in that. And um, I think they're always thinking about what does, what does shareholders expect? What does the investment community expect? And so they're attuned to that. And we need to remind them it's not, it's not the, the shareholders that feed us. It's the customers that feed the shareholders, shareholders. right? Mm-hmm. It's the customer's mm-hmm. revenue that mm-hmm. allows us to have salaries and budgets and mm-hmm. uh, returns for our investors. And so we need to, to put the horse before the cart. And frankly, I would venture to say that 95% of organizations put the cart before the horse than just what I said. Mm-hmm. So the first thing we can do as CX and CS people is to take the, the insights that we have and help people broaden their perspectives. So it's not just a score. It's not just something about touch points and, mm-hmm. and uh, public relations. It's what do we need to do to adapt to the continual evolution of the marketplace? Uh, customer insights, employee insights, and partner insights are so valuable to that. Mm-hmm. Yet I don't see us rising to that. In fact, I see us kind of sliding away. And we were doing much more of that in the 1990s. Uh, than we are today, it seems. And I would love to hear stories about companies that are doing the things that I'm saying I don't see. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I would love to see those stories and talk about them, yeah, use them on articles and things like that, um, really seeking that out. But help people to get out of myopic management. And especially in times like now, where budgets are being squeezed, people are being let go, or people are afraid about the supply chain and rising petrol, gasoline costs, and and all that. We need to help people rally around our customers as the hand that feeds us and broaden their perspectives to not just what's on their plate, but the greater good, the hand that feeds you. Second, we need to expand people's motivations, and that's by showing them what's in it for me. Now, my team viewed our internal customers as important as our external customers in terms of what's going on with them, what do, what's changing, what's holding them back, uh, what are the things they're excited about, how do we tap into all of that? Mm-hmm. And so every six to eight weeks, We would close the blinds in the conference room and uh, pull out our uh, analysis pages from the shared drive that we had at the time. And, um, you know, we'd look at the stakeholder analysis. Who are the the laggards? Who are the uh, early adopters or who's on track and, you know, what's what's at risk? And we did a number of these types of, um, you know, grids and things. And it really helped us to stay on top of it and to drive momentum and not let things stagnate or go off course. It was the key to maximizing my bonus every year, regardless if it was a a boom year or one of those layoff years. Mm -hmm. We stuck in there. We maintained our programs and uh, our, our 
our uh, relevance and indispensability. Mm. So you need to to show people what's in it for them. And I got in the habit of being bold at the end of any report or article or any poster, anything that we would say about CX. If you're in engineering, you might do this. If you're in HR, you might do that. Whoever the audience was, or just pick two or three uh, to to make a suggestion. And don't be scared. If they say, mm -hmm. no way, that's the stupidest idea I ever heard. You ought to do it this way. Like, Awesome, mission accomplished, right? You're, you're great, go ahead and do that. So um, that's really important. Now, the third step is nurturing collaboration. That means that you're trying to get people to work together. You're showing them the value of, you know, whether you're using journey maps as a visual aid or any other thing. In fact, I think that there's, you know, probably a dozen other ways that you can uh, nurture collaboration besides journey maps. But I just like no, the workshop experiences to bring, I think, yeah. But it, yeah. <laughs> I think journey mapping is massively misused, but as a way to bring mm -hmm. people together through a, set, a series of workshops to re, be yeah. able to see from all those different perspectives, broaden their own perspectives and um, expand their motivation around getting to be more customer focused. I got us. Sorry, I cut you off there. Carry on. No, that's right. So, <laughs> so what we did, collaboration. I think mm -hmm. was the most influential of all was to set up self-reporting team recognition. And that means that you have a, you know, a portal online that people can post. Here's a, a project that we're working on. It's a grassroots or it's official or whatever, didn't matter. But it had to be a team of, um, you know, five minimum or eight minimum, can't remember. Year by year, we made modifications based on mm -hmm. feedback. But um what happens when you announce here are certain categories that we're going to be giving recognition for, and here are the scoring criteria for those categories. Mm -hmm. And in fact, if you have a, a problem statement, you get a point, right? If you have a customer focused problem statement, like saying it in the customer's words, so how the customer would say it, then you get like three points. Okay. If you, so you, we showed all of these sequential things that help shape people's thinking mm. and doing approach yeah no I, I knew this you said yeah you shared this case study didn't you with the community I remember you giving yeah. that example and Amazon do something quite similar don't they in terms of their planning process by building into mm -hmm. like one very structured way of um a brief like if you're going to go and do a project the way that you defend it includes you know, what problem are you solving for customers and um, how focused is that? And if it doesn't meet the criteria that are set out as this is the stuff that we want you to be doing mm -hmm. <laughs> if, to contribute value, it doesn't go any further. So I think you're right that that kind of systemic level of um, thinking about even the generation of activity that's going to cost time, effort, energy, money, whatever, being able to um, to ensure that it is as easy as possible to get it right is a good point yeah. but of course like not all initiatives are going to be customer facing though right like not everything will well if you get into way. it you start to to really uh drink this kool-aid which i think is a healthy kool-aid mm -hmm. um 
I was going to say, but it's the, 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 probably the employee Everything experience. actually ties back. Pardon? I was going to say, but the, there's, there's likely always going to be a human impact. So whether that's yes. customer, partner or employee, yes. um, it's been able to use that same thinking to address where's the human element of this, right? Mm -hmm. Mm. That's right. When people did those action plans, those hundred action plans, part of my role in the the uh, workshops and, and afterward was making sure that they were framing it from the customer's view. What's the problem statement from the customer's view? So we were helping people in numerous ways to get into the habit of this. And what you really want to be doing ultimately is helping your C team and board of directors frame everything that they say and decide in terms of why is this benefiting our customers? How is this going to encourage them to buy more from us, to buy only from us, to say good things about us, to prefer us, whatever. There, When you look at all of the strategic pillars, when you look at all of the, the uh, things that uh, your C-suite does as policies and decisions, they really should be couching it in terms of you know, this is going to help our customers do X, or this is going to help us do what for X for customers. Mm. Uh, because that's really the whole secret behind getting more sales and having more profit. <laughs> mm. I hear you. Um, so we've got broaden perspective, expand motivations, nurture collaboration. I think there's one more. Yeah. Did I miss one? Yeah, the fourth one is build in universality. So you can get into the habit yourself and set an example of Every time that you're starting something, every time you give a, a, an assignment or get an assignment, mm -hmm. think who else cares, who else needs to know or should know or has done something like this. Let's check in. Now that we have things digital, it can be a lot faster than it was, you know, 20, 30 years ago when we didn't have all these, these mm -hmm. advantages. You know, there's a lot of uh, sharing uh, technologies mm -hmm. that we have in our organizations, but Anyhow, make it possible to learn from each other and to, to do things in a more holistic way. Like people talk about buying a, an electronic device, plug and play, you know, mm -hmm. you don't have to go assemble it or mm -hmm. go get batteries and, and such. We need to be thinking of our work like that. How do we uh, do, do our things so that we don't have to worry about silos after the fact? Um. So there are certain tools you can use to help instill this thinking, such as uh, what we call interrelationship diagraphs. You can use fishbone diagrams. You can use other things that help people see the big picture and be more transparent, have more free flow, greater accountability, more seamlessness built in and less selfishness and short-term mm. stuff that just creates more silos. In fact, a lot of the things we do in CX management create more silos. Yeah. So we need to be extra vigilant with ourselves to think through yeah. how do I prevent yet another silo? Yeah, don't build any new ones. I, I was laughing when you were talking because it just made me think back to... Um, the organization that I mentioned earlier it had 190,000 people working in it and so it was big and um, quite often I'd run into we tried that before 
or I think there's a team over there that's working on that mm. or I'm pretty sure there's a project somewhere that mm. also had the same goal and didn't manage to do it and I was like but where, yeah. are we, where is this all recorded and where can I go and see what we yeah. learned from trying to do that in the past because if it's come back up again like what can we take from the past and you know not have to learn that over again and there were there were t- there were times that I like uncovered like things that had been tried in like two different polar ends of the business <laughs> that we're trying yeah. to actually do the same thing and duplicating effort so um that with the tools that exist today with like um sharing sites and better program management um it's reduced but being able to capture learning and share learning and disseminate the failures I think as much as the mm-hmm. successes oh, yeah. is, is so important and um you know who knows if it was something was tried and it didn't work because it maybe wasn't focused on the right need there was still all those learnings that in a different project that's trying to achieve something else that component those learnings could be super valuable so yes don't don't build the baby out with the bathwater and your skepticism right yeah yeah (laughs) so 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 don't create new silos because you're building Mm. something that's got a moat around it of your own um ensuring that businesses are um consciously and intentionally sharing the results the successes the failures and somewhere they're being i look for it that's all really important so we're at time now um it's been wonderful chatting to you i really enjoyed that i really enjoyed the the way that you lay things down in like really simple easy to remember frameworks with keywords that um mm. you can refer back to to think through so i'm sure the audience really really enjoyed this today but if you were to leave our women in cx audience with one nugget a pearl of wisdom a piece of advice what would it be lind i think learning change management how to analyze your stakeholders um positioning yourself as someone who is smoothing silos helping helping the c team to meet reach their goals mm-hmm. uh, you're going to be as good or better off than doing the traditional cx programs if you focus on the types of things we've talked about today and uh, really become a master at uh, influencing people internally mm-hmm. They're agree the key more. to making great experiences. Yeah, yeah. I think like customer experience and your toolkit is one one part of being awesome at CX and businesses being great at CX, being able to understand and influence organizations and being able to confidently lead are the other two component parts. And if you don't have all three, um people will continue to struggle and we'll keep seeing those horrible headlines about customer yeah. experience resources getting cut there being no role for customer experience in the future um but i think it's a great time you know being yeah, around you... hun- hun- hundreds of women now who are now all sharing these stories and battle scars and helping by sharing their knowledge and insights collectively uh, i think it's time for a new blueprint for customer experience and yeah really really enjoyed the operational organizational perspective that you brought today so that's it thank you so much for coming thank thanks you. it was a pleasure lots of fun <laughs> thank you and thank you to everybody who listened along at home as well we'll see you all next time bye for now bye <laughs>
Thanks for listening to the Women in CX podcast with me, Claire Musket. If you enjoyed the show, please drop us a like, subscribe and leave a review on whichever platform you're listening or watching on. And if you want to know more about becoming a member of the world's first online community for women in customer experience, please check out womenincx.community. Join us again next week where I'll be talking to another one of our amazing community members, this time from Australia, about employee and workplace experience capabilities for the future. See you again soon.